Your Newcastle. Welcome to Your Newcastle podcast. Today I am joined by very special Novocastrians, the wonderful, the amazing Lauren Parker and her coach, Brad Fernley. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thanks very much. It's wonderful to have you here. We're doing this podcast across continents, aren't we? Where are you at the moment? We're in St. George in Utah in in the States. We've been based here since the Paralympics, but, yeah, I'm just here training. I've had a few events over in, in America. Yeah, we've been following your amazing career over the last few years here in Newcastle, and obviously you're an amazing Novocastrian, and we're very big fans of yours. For people that haven't had the wonderful opportunity to meet Lauren before, tell us a little bit about your journey to becoming one of the most recognised para-athletes we have here in the country. Okay, it's, it's quite a long story, but <laughs> so I started off as a professional able-bodied triathlete, and I've been competing in triathlons for the last 14 years. And in 2017, I was training for Ironman Australia, and I was two weeks out from the event on my last training ride, and both my tyres burst, and I went flying into a guardrail at 45 kilometres an hour, and that changed my life instantly in a split second. I, I mean, I had broken bones, broken shoulder, broken ribs, punctured lung, broken pelvis, broken back, back, and all that can be repairable, but I had spinal cord damage that left me paralyzed from the waist down. And my life definitely changed. And that day I was told I'd never walk again. But fast forward, I spent six months in hospital and I found out that there, there was hope that I was able to get back into the sport that I loved uh, of triathlon and that para triathlon did exist. And after a long, hard journey in hospital, I, I signed myself out and got the equipment that I needed with a, a hand cycle and a racing wheelchair and got straight into training. And, you know, if it wasn't for sport and being able to get back into sport, I don't know where I'd be because that that's what saved my life. And with my first paratriathlon I qualified for the Commonwealth Games and competed there 11 months after my accident and I got a bronze medal and then a year later I became world champion in 2019 in the paratriathlon and then fast forward to 2021 I just raced at the, at the Paralympics uh, gaining a, a silver medal so yeah it's a lot's happened in the last four years. You make it sound so easy and you say it so quickly but in four years' time to have had such a, I guess, terrifying and gruelling accident that has left you with, you know, life-changing injuries, but to turn that around within 12 months and achieve what you've achieved then over the next four years is truly phenomenal. And I know from being from Newcastle as you are, all of the types of extra work you do outside of your training work with school groups, uh, young children, and it's really inspiring to hear that story. You probably, sometimes I think you're so humble for what you've achieved in such a, a short time in, I guess, being forced to change disciplines in your sport. It's just truly amazing. And you've had Brad, your coach there, every step of the way. What's it been like for you, Brad, training uh, such an inspirational athlete like Lauren? Well, Tony, I've helped Lauren for like 14 years now. And um, just so people out there do understand, I'm not so much Lauren's coach. We still have her professional coaches still up in Queensland and are based up there. So I'm kind of the guy that just does every session with Loz. And we just fine-tune, when we get sessions, we just fine-tune up between ourselves 
just make sure everything's right. And I think the biggest thing is we've had some, you know, pretty bad. And you notice from where we are, the support we've had from NCC, getting to the pools, going to events, you guys have been great for us. And for Lauren to go and do these talks for these kids, it's just put them a little bit back into the community. And when we say even with the kids, like, you know, Lauren's gone out to some fairly big companies as well and had chats to people to inspire them to help them, like with this pandemic that we're living in as well. Um, there's a lot of negativity going on throughout the whole world, actually. So Lauren, together, we, um, we kind of get a fairly positive mindset sort of that we'll never accept can't for the, the, you know just that can't that word just doesn't exist for us and we believe in ourselves uh so much as well so yeah and like just keep moving forward every day has been hard don't get me wrong and people don't see the hard times they only see what i'm achieving and the good times the, a happy smile on my face but every day since my accident has been really tough living in a wheelchair and accepting that and also living with the pain that I, I feel 24-7 with the, the nerve pain that I've got to 90% of my body. That feels like I'm being stabbed with needles everywhere. Like right now I'm in torturous pain and people don't see that. And, you know, having Brad by my side, not only for the last, uh, well, for, for the last 14 years, but every step of the way for the last four years, he was right next to me when I had my accident and he's been there ever since. And it, if it wasn't for him, then I wouldn't, be here and I wouldn't be doing the sport back into the sport that I love. So even if we talk about like we'll go from the games, from the Paralympics, as Lauren said, you know, we came over to America and we had great ideas of doing a few Ironman races over here and then the uh, first few days of being in America we went, was in uh, Las Vegas and we just did a uh, two-hour bike session. It was 45 degrees. I put Lauren into the car, I turned the car on, had the air conditioning going and then while I was dismantling the bikes and putting them in the back, Lauren started to relax and put her legs up on the dashboard. And then unknown to either of us, 40 minutes it took me to get everything put back in the car. Lauren's feet, we ended up uh, touching the windscreen of the car. And obviously because of the heat, we ended up getting three degree burns to every toe on, on her feet. So massive burn there. And then you jump on from there or tell people what it's like from there. We followed that back here in Newcastle, actually. So you probably don't realise how closely everyone here back home has followed Lauren's journey from the Olympic Games, oh, very closely, and then the third-degree burns that you just described that happened. I think even the nurses that you were dressing her between the transitions. So, uh, I mean, a lot of Novocastrians like a big fans obviously of what you're achieving and I I can't remember exactly but I would say it filled up a lot of the local news for quite a few days here everyone on tender hooks about your toes <laughs> which is understandable and I'm really like I think Pete are they okay now or what, what what's the status they're improving and they're healing but actually yesterday you know I thought they were on the way up and and you know they'd be okay but yesterday I went to the doctors and we had an x-ray of my toes and unbeknownst to us that the bones in two of the toes are starting to disintegrate a little bit. And because of that, I may need to have both toes amputated a little bit. So half my toe will be cut off on, on both toes. And so I got that news yesterday and it's my wow. decision whether I wait. The other toes are, are healing, but yeah. That's where I'm at at the moment. 
Wow. Look at that. That's I just the relationship that you two have in terms of the support for each other and particularly for Lauren's career, I think is phenomenal that people don't realise that, you know, achieving everything that you've achieved obviously, you know, happens because of that support team around you. But just in the space of this conversation, you've told me that and I didn't know this and I've met you on numerous occasions, that right now you're in quite significant pain from your accident in 2017, like stinging pain all over your body from nerves. But yet you you seem to be able to deal with that pain. Like I'm looking at you, I know it's through a screen, but you don't look like you're in pain. So you must you must mentally be so strong, apart from physically being strong, to be able to deal with that pain, put it to one side, and then compete in these very long, grueling events that are not only physically challenging, but mentally challenging. And then at the same time, you know, get news like, you know, day after day that there's other, you know, very significant medical and health issues that you have to deal with, like amputation. Like most people would hear that and probably be in the fetal position for, you know, 12 months afterwards. Yeah, I mean, the nerve pain that I've got is the worst out of everything and people don't see it and I'm screaming inside. And I think being an athlete before my accident, knowing how to deal with pain, I think that's definitely helped me deal with it now and not show it on my face because, you know, if I showed pain on my face all the time, people wouldn't think that's very nice. I mean, they wouldn't see the pain, you know, it's only me that's feeling the pain. And I've had I've had five spinal cord surgeries to try and fix the pain and there's no cure and nothing's worked. So at the moment I've got to deal with it and live with it. And it is absolute torture and every night I'm screaming, literally. And I never thought this pain existed before my accident. And it just feels like my whole body's on fire, like I'm being stabbed everywhere. And and actually, that's why it's so so easy for to for my sport for me to compete in my sport because I love training and it gets my mind off the pain and gets my mind on the other sort of pain I put myself through, which is so much better the training pain. Yeah, I can I can actually understand that rationale. So it, when you've got that ninety percent sort of burning nerve pain, if you're pushing yourself training or competing. Does that muscle pain, that lactic acid, like I'm not an expert, <laughs> clearly, does that dull down that nerve pain or just make takes your mind off it? I mean, it doesn't take it away, but it, it takes my mind off it, which right. definitely helps. But it is it is still there. It's like I'm in double pain, but um, I'm focusing on like the session that I'm doing and, the, you know, the workout. But, you know, it's definitely worse when I'm not doing anything or I'm going to bed at night and you know I can't get comfortable because I'm in so much pain and you know when I think about it you know every second for the rest of my life if there's no cure I'm in pain so I'm going to wake up tomorrow morning knowing I'm still in pain and you know that's the hardest part. You know Natalia the thing about all that as well is you'll be aware that obviously Lauren did the St George 70.3 a few weeks ago that race wound up taking because of the weather conditions as well. That race wound up taking more and like seven odd hours to do. And people say, oh, geez, you did so well to, you know, keep going over the seven hours. But Lauren and I know is that was seven hours of enjoyment because it was the physical Ironman pain she put herself through rather than having to deal with the neuropathic pain she was dealing with. So if we can keep doing these long races, that's kind of a good thing even though she can't keep doing it for years. But it's, it's, it's hard if I like, 
the neuropathic pain is 24-7. We, you've, you've seen us. We, we'll go to the ocean or we'll go to the pool and it's an effort to get into the water because the water temperature affects Lauren as she starts slowing herself in the, in the water because of the neuropathic pain. What's happening in your Newcastle? Subscribe to our mailing list at newcastle.nsw.gov.au. Tell me about what the water temperature does so we can understand. Yeah, so when it's cold water, and for me, even 24 degrees is cold for me in the water. When I, as I lower myself down in, into the water and when the water level comes up to the part where I start to feel, it feels like I'm being cut open with a knife. Every oh, my God. Yeah. So, like when the body, water, uh, so the water hits around your waist and it yeah, feels like yeah. someone's cutting you. Yeah, so around my sort of belly button area and as I lower myself down every millimetre, it feels like I'm being cut open and it's so hard. So, you know, it's, you know, when I'm on the way to the pool, I know that getting in the water is going to be so hard, but once I'm in, it's fine. And again, that's why NCC is so good because when we go to Lampton Pool, those guys do everything they can to keep that water because they know what Lauren's like, so they do whatever they can and try and keep that water as warm as they can yeah, for us every time we go. Warm water is okay. Warm water, if I'm getting into warm water, I don't get, I have all the other pain, but I don't get that extra pain of being, feeling like I'm being cut open. So that that's is, what I'm saying about that. It's crazy, but like, that's what I'm saying. Like, we, we get so much support from Newcastle City Council with doing bits and pieces, and it's like when I say, oh, but, you know, we get so much help, that's just one of the little things that nobody else really understands or hears, but yet, the managers of the pool know we're there seven days a week or seven sessions a week and whatever they can do to keep that water overnight as warm as they can, they're, they're doing it for us. That's just a little thing that they give us to help us. So when we have an opportunity to go and talk to kids, teenagers, schools, we give our time to do that, give back to our community. It means so much to us. Yeah, it's quite phenomenal and I don't think people realise 24 degrees is pretty a pretty high temperature to keep water to at the pool. The team is, they do a great job out there. So thanks for recognising their work. And, of, you know, I mean, any little thing that anyone can do to help, you know, inspirational athletes. But I don't think people, even myself, even though um, I've been following your career for quite some time, realised how much permanent pain you were in. And just on the 18th of September gruelling triathlon at St George, Utah, that was only what one week after the third degree burns and you competed like the nurses helped you dress them you finished first in your division after that event so basically right now you have your uh second world championship title uh-huh. well no third now, isn't it? well as of last weekend i got my third world, world title but yes yeah, so i said george i got my second world title there and then last weekend, flash forward and back again, then you competed again. Where was that race? That was in Abu Dhabi. Yeah, so you've been travelling a fair bit. Which one was harder, that the second world title or the, the Abu Dhabi one? Uh, definitely the second world title, the Ironman. Uh, just the 70.3 that day, it was the toughest course I've ever had to do and the conditions made it even worse. I mean... I had four seasons, well, we all had four seasons in one day. It started off uh, sunny and blue sky. Then I was riding in, all of a sudden I was riding into a, a big storm. It was pitch black and lightning, thunder, hail, rain, everything. And then 
yeah, that's what you know me and all the other competitors had to deal with. But me in I use a racing wheelchair for the run leg, and when it rains, my gloves slip on the push rims, so I, you know, it's impossible to actually go anywhere in the rain. So at one stage, I was on the side for 15 minutes waiting for the rain to stop, and and plus the the course was so hilly. On the run leg, it was two laps of like 11k, and 9k of that was uphill, and 2k was a, a oh. huge uh, steep downhill. So it was just it was so hard, but I, I didn't think I'd finish. And, you know, thankfully I did. Well, you did. In a total of just <laughs> under eight hours. Just under eight hours. And it, w- it would normally take me four hours to do that distance. Wow. So that's how hard the, the course is. Yeah. And so can I jump in again? Like, just jump in, that jump race. in. <laughs> right, Dan. A week after that race, we flew over to um, Mexico and we did a race. Where was that? In Cozumel. Cozumel. Oh, now, nice. Again, it was it's beautiful. That, that again was a 70.3. But to show you or to let yourself and the listeners understand how good my mate is here, that um, she did that race, did that race in just over four hours, a 70.3, but there was something like 2,600 competitors. She obviously won her division, but became she was 13th female across the line overall and 33rd overall competitor in the 70.3, so out of 2,500 finishing 33rd of all men, all females, all pro races, remarkable. Have you seen her? Like, yeah. She's just a remarkable yeah. athlete yeah. and just crazy. Like 13 female out of everybody and 33rd overall. I think, wow, like in four hours doing the racing, a week after she did the St. George one. And, and with burnt toes. With so burnt my, toes. My, nurse, my nurse has also travelled to... Cozumel for me. Oh, to, that's wonderful. Uh, all the way to Mexico. Yeah, it's great. To, uh, yeah, dress my feet during transitions to make sure they're all okay. And, yeah, it's but just that's, amazing. Uh, and that's like even like tonight, so we're going to do this youth group talk. That's with the actual doctor and that's been looking, and the nurse that's been looking after Lawrence Stowe. So we're going to the doctor's house tonight to have a chat to 25 young females about never given up and always believing in yourself and one day, one step at a time. Well, that's why you're a world champion. Feeling social? Follow City of Newcastle on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and LinkedIn. You should be so proud of what you've achieved through unbelievable adversity. And Brad's right. I mean... It's truly inspirational. That's why, you know, here back home, we love following your career because it's just phenomenal what you can, what you have achieved. And then knowing today how much permanent pain you're in, I don't think people realised really like the extent of the challenges of you being at really at the top of your sport. And not, not everything goes your way. I mean, you've had, you know, a, an early rise to success as a paratriathlete. But, I mean, we all watched very, very closely where you were just pipped for the gold medal at the Olympics in Tokyo. How did you overcome that, knowing that you probably, you know, were the favourite and, you know, we were, you know, we're at home all um, barracking for you? And then you picked yourself up and then have done achieved in Utah, achieved in Abu Dhabi. Tell us a little bit about that mindset. Yeah, I mean, that day at the Paralympics, I was so ready. Uh, I was on the start line knowing that I'd put in 
you know, all the hard work and I was the, the fittest I'd ever been and I was confident. Uh, I was confident to get that gold medal and the race panned out like it did and it's, you know, unfortunate circumstances. You know, I was leading the whole way and it, I came to the last U-turn with 800 metres to go and I, I, I caught up to one of the slower competitors, which ended up being the third, the girl that came third. But I was lapping her and I was stuck behind her at this U-turn and I lost about eight seconds. I, you know, I had nowhere to go. I had to stop my arms. So I slowed, I slowed right down and un unfortunately I lost time there and it came down to a sprint finish and I lost by a second, you know, and, and, you know, losing like that is quite frustrating knowing that I, you know, I had the gold right there. But, you know, when I when I think about it also, of, you know, what I've had to overcome in the last four years and to get a Paralympic silver medal in such a short time, then, you know, I can only be proud. And I hope that from my race and journey that I hope that I was able to inspire a lot of people and a lot of kids out there to, to never give up um, because, you know, not many people have that have a Paralympic silver medal. But... It was a devastating day also and, uh, you know, just the way it panned out. But, you know, the girl that got, got first, I'm, you know, great friends with her and we actually caught up the other day uh, in San Diego and, you know, we're, we're good friends and we joke about it and I say that, you know, in, in three years' time at Paris, I'm, I'm going to take that gold back. <laughs> Sorry, you know what I liked about that one? Like the day Lauren and I had... 1,500 odd days getting ready for that race. It unfolded the way it did. Nobody back at home or wherever doesn't really understand what's going on here. But that was a, that was a really heart-wrenching day to see what happened. What I got out of it after watching what had happened, how Lauren actually, and I don't know what it was like when back at home for you guys, but what Lauren did seven minutes after the race to get interviewed and from absolute sheer, um, just heartbroken, the way she spoke from what, when I was standing next to her, listening to an interview, I'm thinking, you know, that's your gold medal there, Loz, because what you've just done and how you've just said it and how you've congratulated everybody. And to me, the way she spoke, that, that was a gold medal in itself there because we got home or we got back to the village and it was just... Not a good time at all, was it really? No. But she, I believe she handled herself, and I hope that's how it came across back home. 100% it came across exactly like that. It came across as by one second to have a silver uh, Paralympic medal is winning. It came across as winning anyway, and we, we saw the comeback that you were trying to make under those unusual circumstances uh, here back home in Australia. And, you know, everyone just looked looked at it I think, well, I did. I was like, you know, this is fantastic because guess what? She's going to come back and she's going to win all these world titles for the next three years and then she's going to definitely go inspired to Paris um, to reclaim that gold back. So all of these things, I think, happen for a reason. It's just a phenomenal and inspirational, you know, story. And I think, I think there's probably, you know, lots more we can all learn from you in your career as you go on. Well, I think we're just very fortunate um, to have Novocastrians like you and you're traveling a lot and competing a lot at the moment. And that's why I really wanted to be able to touch base with you so we could 
share with everyone here in Newcastle a longer form version of what it's really like to be Lauren Parker and also to be in the support team like Brad to see how you know everything works together to to see your achievements realised. It's quite a phenomenal story and I just hope that you know that we're all supporting you every day back home. The team that we have around us, like people just see Lauren, which is great, but it is what you're just saying. It's, it's all the support that we've got back home as well. Like Lauren's team around her, it, it's a team of 19 people. People don't see that, but there's 19 people that get Lauren to the start line and then she just has to do what she needs to do and that's race and perform really well i guess from if, if i've got to pick a negative out of anything you can do whatever you wish with this we've got all the support that we need and we've got all this help we've got all these groups out there helping us you know the, the biggest one that should be helping yet is a real issue for us and that's the ndis now i'm not bagging them too much but i don't want to say too much but the ndis where you would think would be able to support somebody like Lauren by just doing the right thing, they're not. And I've, I've said to them many a times, why don't you use Lauren as an ambassador to show people that you can do things. Instead of just sitting around and just relying on others to help, you can go and help yourself. Let the like I'm saying to NDS, like, come on, like, look at Lauren, showcase her, and this is what you can do to achieve. But in actual fact, they are really negative and hard towards it. I look, I'll just leave it there and just, well, it's hard. They should be doing something. Just do the right thing. Don't want anything extra. Just do the right thing by their guidelines. They are not doing that. That hurts. Well, that is uh, actually very interesting information, Brad. In what way do they need to change to make sure people like Lauren are supported properly through that scheme because that's what it was introduced for. Their decision-making is wrong. They take too long to make decisions. They, they want all this information, which we feed them through our coordinator. Then they review Lauren's plan like they do every other person's plan, and then they're making wrong decisions. They just don't give me enough funding for the continents and stuff that I need to be able to live. And, and daily care, like the daily care money we should give. I've always got to fight for that funding to get there's, that um, the continents products. There's guidelines down there what they should stick by, and they are actually going against their policies. And the funding that they gave Lauren for this year is a quarter of what we've been told it should have been. Now we're fighting with them now to try and get things, but the protocol and how to get these means, like we've been fighting now six months to try and get a meeting and it is bureaucrat after bureaucrat just holding things up and here we are six months and now we just got a phone call yesterday actually from our coordinator that's how brad we've got some news state parliament come across and i said you can have a meeting on 22nd of january great but we have run out of money oh my god this is terrible that's so that's six months lauren's package was supposed to be for 12 months, it ran out in three months, and I can't understand. They say, like with catheters, you should have three, we'll say three a day. Well, that's not right. It's double that, and, and sometimes things don't quite work out, so you might need seven, but they're gonna allow three. This is also an Australian that has been in our green and gold. 
I don't understand. I also had no idea this was happening. This is terrible. I think that that's why we're catching up to make sure that, you know, we all understand not only all the good times that you see and all the amazing achievements, but what is it like to be Lauren Parker and the team to work so hard to achieve that and to hear that the NDIS that was created to try and close the gap between different areas in our community that weren't getting the support and that was obviously the disability sector was not getting enough support to find out that one of our most prominent triathletes is not getting just basic support for continents is just you know it's unconscionable brad don't worry i will be making some phone calls after this recording there are people in the federal parliament that will absolutely take up this fight for you it is not okay that Lauren has to go through this while she is competing for our country. It's not good enough. You should shouldn't the fight we had with catheters. I know the pandemic has caused a lot of problems, but how can the NDIS say to us or Lauren, we can only give you 500 catheters, the maximum you can have for a two-month period, we'll say. But we're saying, well, hang on, we, we're going away for three months. We need 600 or 700, whatever it might be. No, sorry, can't give them to you. What do you mean you can't give them to us? Like, what they think there's a black market for catheters or something? <laughs> Love it. Yeah, honestly, it, it is difficult. Like, carers' <laughs> fee, the carers' fee, it's a quarter of what we have been told, Lauren, and it's not so much entitled to, it's what the policy says there is X amount of money that be given to someone in Lauren's situation. Forget the dollar value, it's 12 months worth. They gave us three months worth. And now it's all gone. So the carer's money has all gone. And next nine months, it was like, okay, well, just do your best loss and wear your green and gold and do what you want and go and help all these kids and help the community, do whatever you want to do. But unfortunately, us being the NDOS who's supposed to be looking after our people, they're not doing it. I hear that advert on the radio, NDOS, we're here to help. Well, you've got to be kidding me. If that's help, I don't want any help because it is atrocious what they do. It's not acceptable. And I and I really appreciate you being open with me about what it is really like to be competing at this level. You know, three-time world champion, Commonwealth Games gold medalist, Olympic silver medalist, really starting your campaign for Paris now to not be having the basic level of support that everybody is entitled to in this country. For the guys that don't have Lauren's recognition out there, what's the like for people in the chairs that are just exactly. the average day person? Like, my goodness, if we're struggling, what are they doing? And I know for a fact some of them are really doing it tough. Like, what we do after this, I'll, I'll talk to you after this and then I'll give you a phone number of someone that maybe you need to speak to and then she can give you all of the great information to make your argument go to where you would like to go, for, not only for Lauren, but for everybody that's in Lauren's situation, we're lacking the help. It's not there. Yeah, well, I'll absolutely be taking that one up for you. And I'm so glad that you have both made the time to talk to talk to me about what it's really like behind the scenes, but also let me pass on to you how proud we are that we have Novocastrians like both of yourselves and Lauren representing Newcastle and Australia and achieving at such a high level and that we're always here to support you. So not only will we be taking up that NDIS fight, we'll also be waving our Lauren Parker 
support fl- flags everywhere you go in all your next races and competitions. And I just want you to know that I think you're amazing. And I think I speak for all Novocastrians when I say that. And we're 100% behind you. It's your Newcastle. Access all our services and resources at newcastle.nsw.gov.au. People would also like to know one more thing. You're determined, you're training all the time, you're you know, at the, the top of your game. What do you do when you're not training? What, what do you do for fun in your downtime? Yeah, I mean, I don't have much free time uh, outside of training because my, t- my days are filled up. But when I do, I just between sessions, I love to just chill out and play guitar. Oh, I love wow. Playing guitar. Yeah, I love music and I just like to chill out and just, you know, have my time and I also love to draw as well I'm very um, I like art and I like to draw and I just it helps me get loose yeah release uh, you know onto the pages I guess rather than talking to someone but yeah, it gets a lot, a lot of emotion out and yeah it really helps me deal with situations and so that's what I like to do outside of training but I also love going to coffee shops I absolutely (laughs) love coffee and I go to every coffee shop around Newcastle so yeah I like to do that as well and it's funny with those drawings because I look at those drawings when Lawrence finished and I can actually look at that and go wow we're in a bit of a bad period here because depending on how bad the drawing is to show her emotion by how you should, well, should send, we'll send you some and have a look at them later. I think not only I would love to see them, I think other people in Newcastle would love to see them. As a very prominent Novocastrian who's obviously exceptionally artistically talented, I think other people would like to see them too. But, I mean, that's up to you if you want to share them, but I would love to see them. I think we've got a little bit of an agenda to go through when you get home and catch up and make sure you're getting the right support from the NDIS, but also look at how we can celebrate your artistic talents alongside your amazing sporting talents. Aren't you one amazing person? I can't draw, I can't play guitar, I cannot do a a triathlon, and I think I'm in the majority of of the population. You keep doing your great job, we'll keep doing our great job. Okay, that's a deal because I would never make one hour, let alone seven hours. <laughs> I think, and I think we had, we're back in Newcastle. In 10 days time. 10 days time? Yes. 20, yeah. Fantastic. Yes, well, we haven't we'll been ha- home for something like 20 weeks now. I know, we, we've been missing you. <laughs> Thank you so much for making the time. I really appreciate it. And I look forward to catching up with you when you get home. Thanks guys. Thanks guys. That's your Newcastle. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate and review us wherever you listen.